Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. Coming up in just a minute, we are going to have Ask Andrew, where Andrew Kern answers your questions about the essential ideas of classical education. I'm David Kern, and quickly, I just want to bring you a word from our sponsors, our friends over at CLT, which is a classically-based alternative to the SAT and ACT and is the fastest-growing college entrance exam in America today. More than 90 colleges now accept CLT, and many of these colleges have endorsed it as their preferred admissions test. Students can benefit from same-day test results and can share their scores with colleges for no additional charge. To register, to learn about the colleges that accept it, or to learn more about CLT, head over to cltexam.com. That is C-L-T-E-X-A-M.com. Thanks to CLT for making this podcast possible. And now, enjoy Ask Andrew. I remember vividly the first time I got a B- on a test in fourth grade. I was sure my parents would be furious. When they were not, I was amazed and immediately realized I could turn the effort I was putting into school way down and still be fine. That attitude continued through my entire education and much of my early professional life. Bad news. Hello, I'm Andrew Kern, and this is Ask Andrew, an episode on assessment. And that was a quotation unascribed that I got from Facebook a while back. Therefore, it is of scholarly importance. But actually, today I want to continue the discussion I began in response to the question, what is a good classical assessment? And last time, um, I began with the quotation from from an email that uh, Joel Brandos forwarded to me, my Lutheran educator friend from 2001, and it was about, you, you recall, it was about um, public examinations and how those were fading away and what a cultural statement that might be and what a, what a commitment that might be or what a um, reflection that might be of understandings of assessment. And then I raised basically five questions about assessment. I asked, what is assessment for? Questions that we need to answer to do a good assessment. We need to ask, what is it for? What does it mean? What does, as you saw from that quotation I just read, what does the B minus mean to the child? What does it mean to the teacher? What does it mean to the parent? Those aren't always the same. And what does it mean to the school leadership if you're in a school setting or the government? By what standards are we assessing and where do those standards come from? What do you want done about the assessment and how old is your child? And I ended by saying that the main question is what makes for a good assessment and that I would pick that up in this session. Now, I want to read to you something that might seem to you totally irrelevant to assessment, but I'm going to read it anyway and then see if I can make a case for it. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 
verse 26, and I'll read 27 too. It says in John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, or when the paraclete, when the comforter, when the, well, let's leave it at that for now. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will testify. You also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, what on earth could that possibly have to do with assessment? Well, a number of things, but let me say this. We learn in the very first chapter of the, of, of the Bible, and it is reflected and expressed throughout the Scripture, that we are the image of God. Now, if something is an image of something else, it isn't that thing, is it? But when you look at the image of something else, you will see echoes, you will see reflections, you will see expressions of the thing that is being imaged. And what I'm proposing here is that since we are the image of a trinity, of a God who is trinity, of a father and a spirit of truth and a son, I think we're going to find things in this concept, in this passage, that unavoidably within the Christian theological concept, but also I would say, I'm going to argue that, let, let, let's, let me pause and say, if, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this and you're thinking, what a lunatic, he's going to try to talk about the Trinity in relation to assessment. Let me offer you this. Why don't you just take it as an analogy? See if there's any insight in the analogy. But if you are a Christian, you can see in the analogy a manifestation of the image of God. No proof, but illustration, context. Okay, let me make my point. If we're going to ask the question, what is a good assessment, it can help us to begin not by looking at the work the child is doing, but by looking at God, because we're his image, okay? And what we learn from this section here is that God is going to send the Holy Spirit from the Father. So there's a father. There is a spirit of truth, and his role is to testify of the son, to bear witness of the son. And there is a son. In turn, there's us. And we also testify of the son because we have been given the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now you're still saying, what on earth? Okay, notice that it says he is the spirit of truth. And because I don't have, you don't have time probably, for me to develop this in, in, in incredible detail, let me just sort of throw it out there and you can do what you want with this. I'll tell you what, what this has helped me with. There are in this verse um, three persons but so much more than persons as we think of humans. There are three beings, one being, (laughs) in three beings, I think, who are reflected in the human mind and are reflected in what the human mind can learn. Notice that it was the spirit of truth, okay? 
And the role of the Spirit of Truth is to bear witness of the Son. The Son reveals himself in John 14, 6 to be the truth. He is the truth incarnate. And the Father, you could say, is the truth non-incarnate, the invisible truth. Okay, what am I doing? I'm suggesting this, that that's the structure of the curriculum. That's the structure of how to teach, and that's the structure of how to assess. That we see the Trinity manifested in the true curriculum, the true pedagogy, and the true assessment. Now, you notice what I just did is I drew us back from just assessment and put us back in the context of curriculum and pedagogy. I've talked earlier about what is the classical curriculum, and I suggested the seven liberal arts and then the sciences. I've talked about pedagogy as mimetic and Socratic, and now I'm talking about assessment, but we can't assess without looking at curriculum and pedagogy, because what are we assessing? Good assessment will align curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment. If you have a curriculum that represents one view of reality, and you teach from a different view of reality, and you assess from yet a different view of reality, you're going to have confused students, if not confused teachers. And by the way, that is what we do in our culture. To oversimplify, the curriculum comes either from the empiricist tradition of Francis Bacon or a sort of pragmatic tradition of money publishing companies, publishing companies to make money, But mostly I would argue it's from the empiricist tradition of Francis Bacon. The way we teach largely comes either from the B.F. Skinner behaviorite tradition or, in the other extreme, the Jean-Jacques Rousseau romantic tradition. And then the way we assess comes from René Descartes, for the most part. In other words, we have rationalist assessors, romantic teachers, and empiricist publishing companies. That's because we don't have a logos. We don't have an ordering principle that flows through it. We have to align the three for the sake of our children's mental health and our own as teachers. So the first thing that good assessment does is is it, it, well, I'm going to put it this way. The first thing that Christian, Christian assessment will do is it will honor the Holy Trinity. The second thing that any good assessment will do is it will align curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment. They will all work to the same end and reflect the same beliefs about reality. In order to align the three, I believe we have to think in terms of the Trinity and the three things reflected in the human mind. And here's what I mean. When we teach and when we learn, we're always learning one of three things. The truth, or even small t, a truth. For example, three plus two is five is a truth. Or we are learning an embodiment of the truth. Or we are learning a way of witnessing to the truth, which I would call an art. The purpose of the liberal arts is to bear witness to the truth. The purpose of of really any art is to bear witness to truth. But let's just say that in this context, the purpose of the liberal arts is to bear witness to the truth. First of all... The arts enable you to see the truth in an incarnate form. And secondly, they then enable you to communicate the truth. 
by incarnating it. Now, if that's the case, and if that's too abstract, forgive me, um, it comes out over discussion and things like my medic teaching and so on. But if that's the case, that the purpose of the arts is to perceive and then to embody truth, then our teaching needs to reflect that. And our assessment needs to reflect that and express that as well. Has the child gained more ability to perceive truth and to express truth? That's the question in what I'm going to suggest could be the the spirit column, the Holy Spirit column. But let's just call it, for the sake of more concrete, immediate applicability, the arts column. No, let's even be more specific. The skills column. Because witnessing is an act, right? And acts, when you do an act frequently, isn't that interesting? The acts of the apostles, the acts of the witnesses. But if you do an act frequently, you get good at it, and then it becomes a skill. Okay? So that let's just call that the skills column. Next comes the 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 thing being born witness to. Now, ultimately, that's Jesus, who is himself the incarnate word, the truth made flesh, bearing witness of the Father. Okay? So we have the arts, the skills, the witnessing, the skills bearing witness of the incarnations of the word. Now, this is going to sound very disrespectful, but this is how humble Jesus is. When he became incarnate, he humbled himself to a particularity, to a particular person in a particular time, in a particular place. And that is one thing that bothered ancient philosophers in the Platonic tradition who wanted to get away from particularity. And it bothers people today, too. They'll say, how can, how can you argue that, that this universal God chose one people and one time and place, and and Moses was the one, right? And 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 or Abraham even, but Moses. And then and then you're trying to tell me that you know, why why the Jewish people and why and then Jesus, one particular person and one particular, and that bothers people because of the particularity. But that's how humble God is. If we could be as humble as God, we wouldn't have any problem with that. But we think we're better than Him, I guess. But here's how far that humiliation or that humility at least goes when it comes to learning. The, the second kind of thing that a child can learn is particulars, or I'm going to even put it this way, facts. And the Jesus con- column, the sun column, I'm going to go so far as to call that the facts column. That's the second kind of thing that a child can learn. But facts are meaningless apart from their meaning. Well, where's the meaning of the fact? Not in the fact itself, but in the truth that it represents, in the truth that it expresses. So the fact that William the Conqueror came to England in 1066 is of no significance, apart from the fact that that was a historically world-changing event. The meaning of the fact is in the truth the fact presents to us. And that's the father column. So what I'm getting at is this, and this is what I'm offering as a structure for thinking about curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment that is genuinely Trinitarian, genuinely Christian, and enormously practically powerful because we're the image of the Trinity. There are three kinds of things that we learn, and I'm going to reduce them to the absolute simplest. We learn skills, 
and particularly skills of truth perception. We learn facts or information which express truth, and we learn truths themselves. Now, the Father is invisible, only wise, unapproachable, in his essence unknowable. No man has seen God at any time. But the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Every lesson we teach is like that. In a microcosmic way, every lesson we teach can be, should be like that. There's a truth that we want the child to see. But if we're going to help that child see the truth, he's going to have to see it embodied. Because that's what God gave us our senses for, is to see truths embodied. But if we're going to see the truth embodied, we need a witness. We need a, we need a, uh, the senses trained. They can't just be working freely on their own. They need to be trained to perceive the truth. And that's the function of the liberal arts, the skills. So skills, truths, if you like, you can call that ideas and facts. Those are the three things that can be learned. Since those are the three things that can be learned, they are the three things that should be taught, and that's the curriculum. And then the pedagogy needs to be oriented toward teaching truths and truth by equipping students to bear witness to the truth, by equipping them to see the truth with the liberal arts, the liberating arts of truth perception, and by giving them the facts or information that embody the truth, never, not ultimately, at least as isolated facts and information, but as facts and information that embody truths. Now, I'm out of time on this session, so I hope you'll forgive me for backing up a little bit, but I don't believe we can rightly think about assessment. Let me put it this way. I don't believe we can fulfill the potential of assessment, the power of assessment to bless, if we overlook the value of thinking in terms of the Holy Trinity and us as images of the Holy Trinity. So in the next session, I'm going to bring those three columns, shall we say, a little more down to earth to incarnate them. And I'm going to talk about given that, all right, then let's get on with this. What is good assessment? The first thing I want to say, though, is good assessment aligns curriculum, pedagogy, and assessment and can do so when it is Trinitarian in terms of truth, truth embodied, and truth witnessed, in terms of ideas, facts and information, and skills, okay? If that sounds crazy, well, just describe it to the person talking. Meantime, may the Lord remember you in his kingdom. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 